G'day, it's Phil Edwards, Vision CEO here, with a quick invitation to become part of this amazing beacon of hope called Vision. Together we can put our love into action to help people of all kinds build or rebuild their lives on the truth of God. Please consider the part you can play during our upcoming Visionathon appeal, remembering that it's your support that makes Vision possible, including this podcast. Life, Culture and Current Events from a Biblical Perspective, 2020 on Vision. Our guest on the line today is Gary Spencer Shears from the US. The question we're asking is, do you think a man should have any say in the future of a baby when there is an unplanned pregnancy? You can make your comment and join the conversation at facebook.com forward slash vision radio and we will be opening the phone lines soon on that topic. And we're talking about the tragedy of abortion. Our special guest today brings a different dimension and an insight speaking about abortion, about its impact on one man's personal journey through difficult choices. He says history will show that one of the greatest lies ever told was that a baby is simply a choice. The second greatest lie ever told is that abortion is exclusively a women's health issue. Gary Spencer Shears Jr. has a new book called The Anvil of Guilt and Shame, and it shines a new light on the subject of abortion from a man's perspective. And he's got his own story to tell with us today. Uh, his book is available at iTunes, uh, Amazon, or Barnes & Noble online. And uh, we're opening the phone lines on this topic shortly. But it's my privilege to welcome Gary on the line from the US. Uh, welcome along uh, to our conversation. Gary, thanks for joining us. Well, thank you for having me, Matt. And good morning to you and all your listeners. And tell us what part of the states you're calling in from. I am located just north of Detroit. Uh, when you look at the map, when it looks like a, a mitten, I'm about halfway up the thumb. So just about 30 miles north of Detroit, Michigan. Wonderful. Well, it's so good to uh, have you as our guest with us for the next uh, 50 minutes or so on the radio today. We will open the phone line soon on this topic. But, you know, on, on the impact of abortion on your life, uh, tell us a bit of your story. Well, my story started out like most young men, um, teenage boy. I grew up on the, I actually grew up on the very west side of the state of Michigan in a farming community. And like a lot of boys with a lot of free time, I had a girlfriend and one thing led to another and we discovered that we were expecting a child. And sadly, we bought into the narrative that it was simply a choice, a choice that we really didn't have to, to think about. We just had to act on it. We didn't seek guidance from spiritual leaders. And at that point of my life, I was not a man of faith. I was wandering quite literally in darkness. And so we, we didn't even consider adoption or going to our families. We just decided that we were going to act. And I went to the young lady's home the day that I brought the money to her. I handed her the money, and I could see in her eyes, when I, when I close my eyes to this very day, I can still envision this young lady desperate for me to be a man, desperate for me to step up to the situation. 
However, I didn't. I just handed her the money and essentially I walked away. What I didn't realize at that time, uh, I got in my car and I drove off callously. I got about a mile from her house and I found myself pulled over in a parking lot and I was overwhelmed with emotion. I began to ask myself, what did I just do? Sadly, though, I lacked the courage to turn around and do what I should have done. So I've carried, going on 40 years now, this anvil, as as the title of the book, this anvil of guilt and shame has hung over me, just hanging there, waiting to crush me. It took many years. It took years of first coming to Christ, but in the process of coming to Christ, realizing that that one awful choice on that spring morning set in motion a trajectory for the rest of my life. So tell us a bit of your story. What what happened after that abortion that uh, took you down the wrong path? I, when it comes to making bad choices, there's a book in that whole subject. I made one continual bad choice after another. Later in life, hindsight always hindsight for all of us is always twenty twenty. We can look back on our on our lives and we say, "Oh boy, if I would have done that differently." I look back and I realize two things. I first I realize all the times God was actually present and all the times God was nudging me in the right direction. But I also recognize that every time he nudged me, I decided I was smarter than God. And I made one poor choice after another. That led and also led to me not being able to be in a healthy relationship with a woman. I didn't realize it as it was happening, but now I can look back and I, and, and it's crystal clear that so much of the damage that I did in relationships, it was never the girl. It was me because I didn't look at women as helpmates. I didn't look at them in the way that God intended for me to look at them. To me, they were simply sexual conquests. And that's one of the biggest issues that resulted, or at least in my life, was I didn't look at women as anything other than than sexual objects, sadly. And abortion played into that because it was available. It was an easy answer. It was obviously an easy out. And it all comes back to worldview, doesn't it? You know, if you have a Christian worldview... You have a Christian view of sex, a Christian view of the sanctity of life, a Christian view of how to treat one another. Um, Tell us a bit about your your faith journey. When did you come to Christ? I came to Christ, part of my story, and this is in the book, uh, as a result of uncontrolled diabetes, I went blind in 1996. Now, here again, this is God's story because Through the grace of God, I was a patient already of a surgeon who was gifted beyond belief 
that was able to save my vision and restore my vision. However, as I went through that period of blindness, which lasted roughly three years, I became very dependent on friends and family for transportation and getting me to treatment. But I also went down the path of darkness and started down the path of thoughts of suicide. And I actually got to the point of one night where I was sitting in my bedroom and I, and I went full force into it. I put a note, unlocked the door to my apartment. I even went as far as putting a plastic tarp down because I didn't want my landlord to have to deal with the mess. And I loaded a pistol and sat on the edge of my bed, decided that I was going to do a three count. And on the third count, I had every intention of taking my own life. However, here again, God interceded. I couldn't lift my arm. And in that exact moment, my whole life, you've heard, I'm sure you've heard countless Christians say, my whole life went before my eyes. Well, mine actually did. And one of the visions I had was of a beautiful little girl. And I knew that that was my child. I knew in that instant that if I took my life, I would never see her in heaven. I unloaded the gun and I put it away and I didn't look at it again for at least six months. And that started my faith walk. I knew that there was something greater than I. I knew that there was something that I needed that was missing. And again, God just kept putting people in my path that discipled to me and led me to a place where I was willing to walk through the door of a church. And I know that uh, in 2005, you had the opportunity to attend a Christian retreat where everything changed. Tell us what happened. The Christian retreat was uh, called the Walk to Emmaus. Uh, and on that walk, on Saturday morning, there's one specific talk that is given about the means of grace, where God decide, where the grace that God is willing to give us if we just open our hearts to it. I sat in the pew as I saw other men walking up, and I, I wasn't ready yet. And then I felt it was my time, and as I knelt at the cross, and I asked God to take this anvil of guilt and shame away from me, the burden was lifted. I knew in that instant, I, I quite literally, I collapsed at the cross, and the men that were at my table, uh, they they had to help me back to the pew. I was so overwhelmed with the emotion of the moment. But I felt God's grace just come over me. I knew in my heart what I did was awful. Making the choice, paying for an abortion, not standing up for my unborn child. I knew that that was probably the greatest mistake of my life. But in that very moment, I knew that God was willing to forgive me of that sin. But I also knew I had to pick up the cross. I knew that 
fighting for the unborn was going to be the mountain that I was going to have to conquer. Well, it is an incredible story of uh, what God has done in your life. And I know now you're actively involved in uh, the Right to Life movement in Michigan and other pro-life causes. And uh, you continue to share your testimony all over the world. And now with this new book, uh, many will be impacted. Uh, You've also been involved a lot with the Emmaus community yourself, uh, doing local church outreach programs for the homeless, leading youth groups, men's accountability groups. What's life look like for you now? It's it, The difference is so amazing. Walking the path with Christ opens your eyes to everything. When you stop looking, I often tell men, when you stop looking at the world by the world standard, by the secular standard of the world, and you start looking at it through what God's expectation of us is, everything changes. The The things that cause strife in our life, they just fall away because we know we're only visitors here. This is temporary. And I want to do everything, and I want to bring as many men and women along with me that I can on however long I have left on this planet. And I knew that by writing this book, when I sat down and started this book, I knew that I had a message. I had a message. There's Here in the United States, over 63 million men have been involved in, the, in an abortion, wow. either directly or indirectly. Mm. Imagine what it would do for the kingdom of God if, if 10% of those men got involved and said, no more, we're done with this. We could solve, as Christians, if the Christian world united around the singular cause. You were talking earlier with your other guest about a revival. Could you imagine if we started a revival and it was founded with the men that were responsible for all the abortions around the world? Mm. You know, that one cause. Mm. You know, I'm reminded of a, a, a U.S. pro-life ad that I saw years ago that impacted me so much. It had... Uh, you know, people that were firefighters, that were politicians, that were policemen, that were judges, that were in the army, and they were all successful, doing well. You know, and the, the premise of the ad was basically, you know, these could have been aborted, but the parents decided to keep the baby, and look at what they're doing to make the world a better place now. So many lives uh, have been uh, blotted out uh, in the womb when they could have grown up to be history makers, to do something amazing for God. You just never know the potential that's available in a, in a life, do you? Absolutely not. And there again, this is a subject that I do talk about in the book of, you know, I, trying to appeal to men. I talk about football, um, you know, the United States version of football, not the version of, that the rest of the world examines. But I don't know a guy my in my sphere I don't know a guy that doesn't look to football. They love football. And I, and I use the analogy in my book of illustrating the men. It's like, okay, what if that child that you aborted was your college star player mm. or your, the quarterback of the te- your team that took you to the Super Bowl for seven straight years? Have you ever really thought of what that child would have become? who they would have become. A day doesn't pass in my life. Now, as I write in the book, I I open my book with a letter 
to my unborn child. And I've named her Grace. Oh. Because of God's prevailing grace, and it just seems so perfectly appropriate. You know, that's my daughter's name. Is it really? Yeah. <laughs> oh, beautiful name. Beautiful name. I love your daughter already. The I I knew that Grace was that perfect and when I when I got that name and I started to write I wrote a letter, a passionate letter to her apologizing for the choice that I made. But I also told her about her mom. And I also told her about my wife, my my the wife that God gave me and what a blessing she's been in my life and my spiritual walk. And it was so cathartic for me to be able to sit down and write a letter to my unborn child. But I also closed the book with a letter to my child. And one of the most amazing things in writing this book and going through the publishing process that occurred, I reconnected with her mother. Mm. And I, I said to her, I we only text one another. We haven't actually taken the time to speak, but we we text and we communicate. And I, I texted her recently and I said, you know, I think we're actually better friends now than we were when we were going out. Well, keep in mind we're adults. And at the time we were teenagers and it, it was a different scenario. And of course we were scared and we'd made a mistake and it can factor all that stuff in, but I really, we've become better friends. In the process of editing the book I and, and reaching out to her, she ended up writing a very touching letter that's in the closing chapter of the book. And she details the pain and the suffering that she's also experienced from this choice and the impact that it had on her life. But she also is very encouraging and supportive of me and provided a great deal of forgiveness. And when I, when I talk about this in the book, I think of all the men that are out there today, and the women for that matter, because we can never, ever forget the contributions. And, you know, God, God had a special intention for the women. There's no question. You know, he trusted the women so much he gave them the womb. He knew better than giving it to us. And all these women out there that have suffered for decades because they were pressured into it or they felt it was the right thing, to, whatever the cause may be, maybe they just didn't communicate. Mm. And to have this blessing of a girlfriend of 40 years ago Tell me that she forgives me. It had such an it it had such an amazing impact on not only the writing of the book, but the feelings and the emotions and just the knowledge of God's presence. It just it it brings it home to you mm. that God is so forgiving and He allows us to get to different places and He brings people into our lives, countless people into our lives that nudge us in the direction he desires us to go. Our guest on the line today is Gary Spencer Shears Jr. He's author of a new book called The Anvil of Guilt and Shame, A Man's Perspective on Abortion, Forgiveness and Calling. 
He's on the line with us from the US for another 30 minutes. If you'd like to call through, call and join the conversation on 1-800-316-316. And we're asking the question at Facebook, do you think a man should have any say in the future of a baby when there is an unplanned pregnancy? Lots of comments coming through. We'll get to those in the next hour. You can make a comment at facebook.com forward slash vision radio. And uh, just before we go to the news, Gary, just tell us, are there many men that you come across that have got a similar story to yours? Oh, all the time. Once once the subject is opened, I've had countless people pull me aside and say, hey, you know, that happened to me. A lot of times I, I've been told the girlfriend didn't say anything or uh, a family member pressured. I'm, I was, I've been quite surprised how many men weren't aware that their girlfriend or even in some cases wife were pregnant when it occurred. Uh, but there's still an equal amount, if not more of men that say, yes, I made the choice and it was the, it was selfish and self-centered and stupid. Mm, to be mm. blunt. Uh, countless times I hear that. And, I, and also when I speak or have spoken at public events, one of the comments that I often get more so from the women is, I never thought about the woman or the man. And people have been so conditioned. Planned Parenthood for here in the States, I don't know if they're, they're called the same thing there, but Planned Parenthood has done a masterful job of removing men from the conversation at all. Mm, mm. Our guest on the line from the US today is Gary Spencer Shears Jr. He's got a new book called The Anvil of Guilt and Shame, A Man's Perspective on Abortion, Forgiveness and Calling. And if you've got a question or a comment uh, for Gary, give us a call. 1-800-316-316. Lots of comments coming through at Facebook as well. Uh, a lot of people are answering the question, do you think a man should have any say in the future of a baby when there is an unplanned pregnancy. Uh, Most of the comments coming in are saying uh, yes. Uh, Many are saying, you know, well, he is the father of the child as well. Uh, Yes, but not to coerce the pregnant mother into having an abortion. Uh, Lots of good comments coming through there. We'd love to get your feedback. You can make a comment at facebook.com forward slash vision radio or phone lines are open. Give us a call now on 1-800-316-316. And we've got Emma from Port Ferry on the line. How are you, Emma? G'day, mate. How are you? Any fitter, I'd be dangerous. Unreal, mate. <laughs> Have you got a question or a comment but, for Gary? I, I, yes, I have. I reckon both partners... If she's pregnant and he's the father of the child, right? Yep. I reckon they should sit down and talk about that child's life and future. Yeah. And you know, maybe they should also maybe they should also get an ultrasound because then they might see that it's actually That's a right. real person. They get the picture of the baby. They might sit down and think about yes, you know. Mm. That's what I think they should do. Very good, Emma. What are your thoughts on that, Gary? Thank you, Emma, and good morning to you. I, I first, I understand when when this occurred in my life, uh, times are different. This was the 1980s. We didn't have ultrasounds, and we didn't have, quite frankly, people, the general school of thought was a baby 
wasn't even viable until late in the second trimester. So the prevailing thought and call it the pressure that existed was if you do it before the end of the first trimester, well, it really isn't a lunch, mm. which again is, is another one of the lies. That's all been disproven. Uh, there's plenty of clinical information to support that. I agree with you fully. I, I would love to see if there's going to be abortion, then prior to the abortion, the mother and father ought to have some safeguard. I would love to see them have to have an ultrasound that then produced a 3D image of the baby. They're, they're doing that more regularly now, especially in cases where the mother might be blind. I just, just yesterday, in fact, saw something of where a blind mother, they produced it, and it was just, it was touching. Mm. She was able to feel the face and, and realize that this, uh, and I believe the baby was just at the end of the first trimester, and it, it was fully developed. Mm. And we didn't, we really didn't know that back then. And as scared kids, and I'm not, by no means, I'm not trying to make excuses. I, I'm the first to admit, I messed up. We didn't talk. And I know that had we talked, we, we probably would have made a different choice. We were afraid. We didn't know who to turn to. I didn't have influences in my life, and again, this is not to make excuses, because I'm responsible for the choices that I make. I didn't have strong male influences to guide me to be a man. I was a teenager, and I was afraid. And I bought the lies. To be, to be perfectly blunt, I bought the lies that were being sold by Planned Parenthood in mass marketing, and it was being introduced in our schools. We were being told that, you know, if by chance you get pregnant, well, you know, you do have an option. Mm. The option wasn't a, adoption. It wasn't get your parents involved. It was there's a Planned Parenthood clinic up in Portage, which Portage, Michigan, which is just south of Kalamazoo. And we all knew that it was there. It's unfortunate, and I, but I, I will iterate again, I absolutely agree with you. Mm. Uh, ultrasound would be a good step in the process. That's a good idea before but the baby goes, yeah. I agree. Mm. Good on you, Emma. Thank you so much for your call. Okay, thanks, mate. God bye. bless. Bye-bye. If you'd like to call Thank through, you. phone lines are open on 1-800-316-316. Uh, we'd love to take your calls today. Uh, we're asking the question at Facebook, uh, do you think a man should have any say in the future of a baby when there is an unplanned pregnancy. Lots of comments coming through at Facebook. If you want to call through and join the conversation, our guest is Gary Spencer Shears Jr. from the US. We've got him for another 20 minutes, so don't put it off. If you're going to call, call now, 1-800-316-316. And uh, Gary, I know for me personally, um, I've watched uh, a movie uh, about the life of Abby Johnson recently that absolutely just blew my mind. Have you seen that one? I have, and I was blessed to meet Abby about she came and spoke at my Right to Life group's uh, annual 
fundraiser about two years ago. Mm-hmm. And he's an amazing personality and lights up the room. And boy, he's, he's on fire. She's an awesome inspiration, and I, I, I get a lot of inspiration from her. Yeah, that movie Unplanned um, was uh, absolutely, I mean, I don't know about you, but I bawled my eyes out. Did, did, did it impact you in, in that way as well? Oh, abs- I, my eyes were sweating so profusely, it wasn't <laughs> even funny. Yeah. I left with a wet sleeve. Mm. And have you found that that movie has impacted a lot of people in your, in your circles? Yes, absolutely. It it is a topic of discussion regularly brought up and it opens doors. And that's one of the beautiful things about it is it, it's a it's a hard it's a hard movie to watch. However, when people watch it, it, it it's kind of a mass media discipleship is what I would call it. It gives people the opportunity to open up and self-exam and I pray that the people that it touches the most realize that Christ is right there. Let him in. And once you let him in, become a disciple and spread the word and stop this genocide that is being perpetrated on the unborn. Now, I'm really curious to know about forgiveness. Um, you, You obviously weren't a believer when you were a part of the abortion as a teenager. Uh, you came to Christ later on in life. Tell us about, you know, I mean, because, you know, there's probably a lot of people listening that are that are feeling guilty. You know, they've had abortions and they're feeling guilty about it, or they've been a male who's been a part of a, an abortion and they're feeling guilty about it. Tell us about how you got that revelation of forgiveness. I was blessed by people seeing in me something I didn't see in myself. And God put in my path two men, godly men, that discipled to me. One in particular I was working with at the time, every day he would introduce something about Christ in conversation. He was an amazing man. When when he entered the room, you knew here comes a Christian. The dialogue changed. The F-bomb stopped. The, the talk and guttural talk went away. Because everybody knew he wouldn't tolerate it. One morning he confronted me and challenged me. He asked me one simple question. He said, do you believe that Christ died on the cross for your sins? It stopped me dead in my tracks. I had ne- no one had ever asked me that. And then it caused me to reflect and to think about where I was at and what I was going through. About an hour and a half after he asked me that question, he came up to me again and he asked me, he said, did you think about the question? And I answered him, yes. And he said, well, what do you think? And I said, I do believe He actually came and died for my sins. And then he challenged me to get up and go to church with him the next day. And I did. He did an amazing thing, though. And I talk about in the book about misinformation, scriptural misinformation, how people misuse pieces of scripture. 
And there was a piece of scripture that I had, a man said to me, and it was, unfortunately, it was a, it was meant to hurt. And it really wasn't meant to hurt me. It was meant to hurt my father. But I didn't communicate it with my father until near his death. But I, I allowed this one sentence of scripture to hang over me. And the scripture was, uh, I'm awful at quoting the exact uh, mile markers in the Bible, but it was the scripture of, you pay the sins of the father for seven generations. And I, I, I allowed that to hang around my neck and torment me. So I, cause I didn't understand the impact of, and how scripture played into it. Backing up though, this man that discipled to me, he challenged me, and after church, he came up to me, and I and all these thoughts are running through my head at the time, and he just said to me, he says, I want you to do one thing for me, and I hope to anyone out there listening, I pray that anyone out there listening that is, that is struggling with abortion, whether you're male or female, and the impact that it had on you, the one thing I pray that you do is find a church, and if you have to go to a dozen churches to find the right church, then go to a dozen churches. It took me 14 weeks of every Sunday morning getting up and trying to find a church that, that I connected with. The gentleman that discipled to me told me, he said, you find a church that feels like your grandma's house. Yeah, that's good. And, and I looked at him and I'm like, what the heck are you talking about? And he said, I want you to find a place that when you walk in, you feel the love that you feel when you walk into your grandma's house. And I think that if we all take a moment and we think about uh, the love you have with your grandma is different than the love you have with your parents. It just is. Mm. And there's just a special feeling when you walk in the door. And that love that unconditional love. I sought that. And then I finally was able, again, because I, I'm a little bit tenacious when I put my mind to something, I didn't give up. And I, I do. I talk, I, I talk about it in the book. I had some pretty bad experiences in those 14 weeks. I was turned away at one church because I wasn't dressed appropriately. And then I had other experiences, but I kept searching for the church that I could call home. And again, one of the most, one of the beautiful things that occurred is I finally found the church that I thought was going to be my home. And then two weeks later, God brought into my life the woman that I am married to today and who has enriched my life and Together, we've walked this path. Uh, our lives uh, have, have done nothing. We've had our hardships. And I like to share with people is, you know, listen, I'm a guy that was actually blind. I, I, I'm probably a, a, in a very small percentage of people in the world that can actually say he was blind and now he can see. Mm-hmm. In the literal sense. Yeah. 
And uh, all these things, uh, they're all part of life. We are chatting uh, with Gary Spencer Shears, author of, author of the book The Anvil of Guilt and Shame, A Man's Perspective on Abortion, Forgiveness and Calling, now available online. And if you do want to chat, call through 1-800-316-316. Uh, we've got Eris from Hawthorne. How are you, mate? Yeah, good things, mate. Good. Have you got a question or a comment? Um, God loves us. <laughs> God loves us. Amen. <laughs> Amen. Um, yeah, I, I think it's uh, both parties in the pregnancy should sit down and discuss it, and that's a good idea to have a, um, a when you call, take a picture of it while you're before. Yep, your phone's just a little bit muffled, there, Eris. Eris, your phone's hey? a bit muffled, matey. Have you got it on loudspeaker? Oh, uh, yeah. That sounds a bit uh, better. Is that better? Yep, go ahead. Yeah. Yeah, it should take a picture of the baby and then see the baby moving and then might sort of see its real thing there and be attached to to the baby. That's a good yeah. point. And and you know, what, uh, you know what, Gary, a lot of people say it's just a fetus or a clump of cells, but when, when you realise it's a real person, it changes your perspective, doesn't it? Oh, absolutely. When, it, again, we've we've said this, and we all say it as if I knew then what I know now, and I, I, there is no way, there is absolutely no way that I would have given that child up. Mm. And, but I also have the luxury of time and experience to look back on it. And, and when I when I've had the opportunity to talk to younger people, I, I try to express to them is. You might think of this pregnancy in a way that it's going to impede your life, but take a moment and pray about how it's going to enrich your life. Mm. And I think, I, again, I, I think all the time of, I I didn't get to have those experiences. I don't have any children. Um, I never had children after the fact. And I have never experienced uh, firsthand. I've had nieces and nephews that I've experienced some things with, but I have never experienced my kid coming in in the middle of the night crying because they're afraid of the monster under the bed. And that might seem really trivial to some people. However, I, I regret that I didn't have get to have those experiences. Hmm. I didn't get to I didn't get to put up with a teenage temper tantrum. Mm. I didn't get to walk my daughter down the aisle. Mm. I'll never have those experiences. I do take great comfort in the fact of knowing I will be reunited with her in heaven. Cuz I'm going to spend every day of the rest of my life fighting for the unborn. And this is a, a good friend of mine um who subsequently has passed away, unfortunately, he looked at me when I told him what I was doing and he goes, you know what? I'd rather, I would rather climb Mount Everest naked (laughs) than take on the abortion industry and do what you're doing. And I said, well, then this is, you know, this is my mountain to die on. Mm. I'm very passionate about, and there's so much more. I mean, we could go on for hours about, the genocide that has been done, especially in the black community. Mm. Uh, it, it's horrific what they've done, and it's by intent. Yeah. Well, Gary, Gary, we are almost out of time, and I do want to just draw people's attention to your book, 
uh, before we wrap it up. Uh, now, if people do want to find out more, it's called The Anvil of Guilt and Shame, uh, A Man's Perspective on Abortion, Forgiveness and Calling. And the website is gs. Oh, sorry, gspencers.com. Is that the best website, gspencers.com? Correct. Okay, and people Correct. can... People can also search up online and find the book at uh, Amazon and Barnes and & Noble and uh, other online uh, bookstores. Is there any other places online they can find it? ITunes, Apple iTunes as well? Apple iTunes has it. Uh, it's on my website as well. There's a link there. Covenant Books is the publisher. Mm-hmm. And I have a Facebook page which is called uh, Abortion from a Man's Perspective, and they can certainly find and follow me there. Wonderful. Once again, if people want to join the conversation at Facebook, uh, we'll put the link up there as well. We're asking the question, do you think a man should have any say in the future of a baby when there is an unplanned pregnancy? Lots of comments coming through there. You can join the conversation at facebook.com forward slash vision radio. And we'll also put the link up uh, to uh, Gary's website there as well. Mate, it's been a privilege to uh, connect with you today all the way from the US. Thank you so much for your time. God bless. Thank you, Matt. Blessings to all. Thanks for taking time to listen to this audio on demand from Vision Christian Media. To find out more about us, go to vision.org.au.